in one hand and everything else in the universe in the other hand. I dropped something in between them both. I went down to pick them up in the seam of my pants. One went thither and the other went hither. So I'm just saying this morning, God will never let you get too big for your britches. I'm just thankful for a change of clothes and a close house. Otherwise, I'd be preaching from the baptistry. All right. Take your Bibles. Turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Good to laugh. If you can't laugh at others, laugh at yourself. All right. So I get to laugh a lot. All right. I get to laugh a lot. All right. 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to teach a lesson today on the, uh, the tabernacle. I'm going to use uh, an Illish, the, 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 the Bible verse here, what Paul is giving us here, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 19 and 20. Uh, Pastor and I, uh, when he came uh, to visit Hannah and myself in the, uh, the summertime, we did not have John Lee at that time, uh, we went up to Pennsylvania, and they have a, a life-size uh, tabernacle there. And as a young person in Sunday school, I, I remember going over it briefly, but I, I never personally spent a lot of time in, the, in just studying the tabernacle. And so when we went there, man, it really just got me fired up. And I had teach a lesson uh, series on it early with my kids uh, in Sunday school back at our church. And, uh, man, there's a lot of gems that I left out. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that I did not pick up on as a young person. I, I'll say this. Uh, you'll never, ever know all the Bible. So don't ever stop reading it. There's always something to go back for. It's like that, that widow in the, in the jar. She kept going back for the cruise of oil and the meal, and it never went dry. And so no matter how many times you think you know the story, go back over it again with open eyes. And uh, so I just want to talk about this real quick, but let's look how this applies to us. We're going to apply the tabernacle to you and me. You say, well, how are we going to do that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 19 says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. Oftentimes, we can read this passage, quote it, and fail to realize the enormity, just the enormity and gravity of its contents. Uh, reading it at face value with no previous knowledge or content, if you were just to pick up this chapter, if somebody just cut this out for you, gave it to you, and read it all by itself, uh, we, uh, we would... Uh, does bear weight and spiritual meaning, but it's when we understand its role and dynamic of the illustration that Paul is given here in this substitutionary temple that believers are, uh, that our eyes can see and understand the picture the scriptures are conveying. You see, the Bible does not merely say a temple, but the Bible says rather the temple. Look at it again. What know ye not that your body is what? The temple of the Holy Ghost. This is direct reference to the temple in which the nation of Israel under the direction, direct instruction of God built and worshipped first as a tabernacle in the wilderness under leadership of Moses in 1444 B.C. until the crucifixion of Jesus in 33 A.D. There are six spiritual significant, there are six pieces of spiritual significance and symbolism that make up the temple. If we were to go back in our mind's eye as I was uh, traveling the other day and just looking 
looking out all over the countryside and, you know, we were flying over Colorado and you come out here and it's, you know, as we like to say in Kentucky, you come out west and you can watch your dog run a week, uh, run away for a week. It's just so spread out. But if you could just imagine uh, from with your mind's eye looking upon uh, the, the nation of Israel as they were caravanning, as they were wanderers in the wilderness and just seeing just this whole spread. I mean, just it just looked like it filled up the horizon. And everything, though, pointed to one spot, and it was the center where the tabernacle was. That was the center. That was what everything was all about. Their world revolved around the temple. And can I tell you something? As believers, our world should revolve around Christ. I tell you what, sometimes we get that out of whack. We let the church revolve around Christ. Our work. We let the church, we let God revolve around our wants, our wishes, rather than the other way around, letting our families, letting our desires, letting our direction, letting our uh, whatever our choices of life revolve around Christ. A lot of times, God's just kind of spinning around on the outside and looking in, rather than us being on the inside and looking out. And so here we get this picture that our body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. We can take that for granted. You know, there are times uh, that when, when I read the, the Old Testament and read how God was uh, in his physical form over the, the temple, over that tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, as it would have been a cloud by day and a fire by night when it rested, and just seeing that. I mean, could you just imagine seeing all of these things put together, the vast enormity of all the caravan, the congregation, then the temple and seeing it, and it's just in order, and it's beautiful, and it's ornate. And then just seeing that, wow, I mean, just fire at night, cloud by day. I mean, we think of that, and they go, how in the world could the children of Israel be so ignorant and take for granted God in their presence? Well, because that's human nature. You see, God has still given us his presence. God has still given us his indwelling. And here's the thing, we have it better in our day than they did in theirs. Because they could only see, they knew where the presence of God was. But it wasn't in their tent, it was in the tabernacle. But you see, you and I that are saved, we're the caravan. The temple is in us. We contain the Holy Spirit of God that manifested itself in cloud by day and fire by night. And if it doesn't get us excited, if that doesn't get us thrilled to know that the Holy Spirit in power, in fullness, and all His glory is within us as believers, now you can see why they took God's presence for granted in their day. Because you take it for granted in yours. Not only that, but God gave us something to carry around. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word... And the word was with God and the word was what? So you want to spend time with God? You want to spend time with Jesus? You want to know what it was like to carry around the tabernacle? You want, man, I wish I could be a part. I wish I could have been a Levite. I wish I could have just had a rod in there. I mean, I wish I could have just, I would have swept the floors if I could have just been in the courtyard and seen all that magnificence. Well, you know what? We get to carry it under our arm every day we go to church. We get to pick it up every morning when we sit in our favorite chair and have a cup of coffee, amen. We get to do that every day. And we can carry it any way we want. Upside down. You say, well, why is that so? Because when they, had, when they were carrying the tabernacle, only a certain amount of men could carry it. And they had to carry it with rods and poles. They couldn't just carry it. They couldn't just, just pick it up at random. Bring it under their bosom. 
hold it under a light? I mean, can you see how they took it for granted in their day when we take it for granted in ours? Not only that, God gave us something else too. He gave us his spirit. He gave us his word. He also gave us his church. These, these, three, these three are eternal. His spirit, because it's a part of God. God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. He said unto Moses, tell them that I am hath sent me. Then he gave us his word forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but thy word shall stand forever. Amen. Then he gave us his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we take all three of these for granted. And we say, how in the world could the children of Israel been at the bottom of Mount Sinai as Moses was getting his Ten Commandments and coming down in the Shekinah glory was all, all over his face? How could they turn back? How could they be dancing in their nudity and, 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 and making themselves false gods? Well, that's because you and I do it all the time. We go to church and we make work an idol. We read our Bible and we make our kids an idol. We go, we go, we go, we, we read our Bibles and we pray, but we make family time an idol. It's what we serve. Vacation's more important than revival services. It's more important to be in sports than it is to be in church. It's more important for me to have a good job and for me to live cushy and comfortably than it is to, to set aside some time on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night and that Wednesday night. It's, those are more important. And we want to know why the children of Israel were, led themselves astray. It's because that's the nature of man. And if we don't look, if when we look at this verse, it ought to excite us, but also should challenge us. So let's look at these six pieces. Six is the number of man in the Bible. There's some illustrations. Six is the number of man. Seven is God's number of perfection. It's interesting that there are six pieces, ornamental, special, dedicated, holy pieces in the tabernacle that each of us have, if we're saved, if we're born again, if we know for sure that we're on our way to heaven because we're under the blood that are in our lives at this moment, not just at the end of this lesson. Let's look at number one, the brazen altar. Turn to John chapter one. I'm going to move quickly. John chapter one wanted to lay a foundation of the significance. This verse is so important. It's the we're the temple. And here, can I say this too, as you're turning to John chapter one, everything, the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. He's a God of the details. You ever heard that saying, the devil's in the details? It's true. The devil, boy, he is in those details. We see that in the garden of Eden. He got Adam and Eve wrong on what? The details. Right? He, he, he tricked him. He just used a couple little words. The devil's in the details. But God is in the details too because God is the, he is the master engineer of the details. God does everything on purpose. And when he built this tabernacle, he didn't ask Moses, what do you think it should look like? He said, this is how it should look. This is how we should do it. And can I tell you this, that you, you and I, we're not an accident. We're a creation of God and we are detailed to his exact specification. But can I tell you this? God's not leaving our life just up to us. He's not just saying, well, I created you. Just do what you want. No, he's in the details. And all thy ways, the Bible says, acknowledge him. Well, think about that. In all thy ways, you know what that is including? That's the details. 
In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now that's a promise. And so God's in the details of our lives. And we look at the number, the first one, the brazen altar. I want to talk about the atonement for sin. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That brazen altar, if you were to enter the courtyard, it would have, it would have been positioned in the center of the, of, the, um, of the camp, three tribes on each side, and the east gate, would, the east side would have been the entrance, the west side uh, would have been where the tabernacle would have entered. If you'll kind of picture this with me, if you will. Uh, let's see, I got my, my direct, so east side, west side for you, for, for, for on your perspective, right? And so that you would come into the gate, which by the way, there's only one way to, to heaven, right? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So the first thing we see right off the bat is entering into the gate itself. There's only one way into the tabernacle. The way, not the broad way, but the one way, the narrow way. Not the back door, not the side door, not over top. There was one way. There's only one way to heaven. There might be a lot of other directions, but there's only one way to get there. There might be a lot of other people that are saying there's, a, there's more than one way to get to God. That's where the devil's in the details. God's already, he's already said how, it can, how, how to get to heaven and it's so simple. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So if you were of the tribe, of, if you were an Israelite, there's only one way you're getting into the tabernacle. And that's the gate. When we enter into the gate, we see the altar right before us. It had been four and a half feet tall. Four and a half feet tall, seven foot square. It had horns on the four corners representing God's power. And they would have laid the sacrifice, a bullock, a lamb, a pigeon. Uh, or uh, they would have meal offerings and drink offerings. But on that altar, there all was laid. You see, God didn't ask for just a tenth. He asked for the cream. Now, if you hear you milk cows, if you've ever been out there when they milk and put it into a bucket... The cream's what's on top. That's what you make ice cream out of. The skim, that's for yuppies, all right? That's on the bottom. But God asked for the tenth. He asked for the very best. He said of your herds, of your flocks, of your meal, he wanted the very best to be sacrificed on the altar because he wanted them to see the sacrifice that was to come for all. God's best. That's Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. He says he taketh away the sins of the world. God gave his best. So he wanted the nation of Israel to understand, this is what I will give one day. And as you put this spotless lamb, this innocent lamb, this, this pet for little children, if you will, upon the altar, you're seeing what one day I will give in no comparison I can't imagine, I, as Christmas morning came around and my little boy was just seven days old, my wife and I sat there and we read our Bible and, uh, about the Christmas story and we were holding and, and tears just were, I, I, I just, I, I think about it today. I couldn't imagine letting my little boy pay for your mistakes. I couldn't imagine that. But here God looked on his son, and he said, boy, I have a job to do. And it wasn't like Isaac, where he was spared. No, the nails went through, the blood was shed, 
And Jesus Christ took away the sins of the world. He was that great. He was our sacrifice. So we come through the gate. We come through Jesus Christ. We've put our all on the altar. We've, we have laid our burdens down. We've laid, we've laid our sins at his feet. We're covered by his blood. The Bible says in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, the Bible says, we are healed. The most important part is the first part. We've come the right way. We've laid our sacrifice. We have accepted God's best and we're covered by his blood. Now we move on to the laver. The laver would have been the washing. That would have been, if you were of the nation of Israel, the farthest we could have gotten. If we were of the tribe of Benjamin, or if we were of the tribe of Judah, or Ephraim, or Manasseh, or any of the other tribes, the farthest we could have gone was the altar. That was as far the, the, the first part of the court. The rest was for the duties of the Levites. They were God's priests. They would have been dirtied and soiled from the sacrifice. There would have been ash and blood and there would have been all kinds of other matter upon themselves. And if they were to do their duties and live, uh, and live their life before God serving him, they had to be clean. That's why the Bible says, confess your, uh, if, we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, staying clean is a daily task. The Levites, that was a daily task. They had to stay clean at all times. If they were to worship before, they couldn't come with unclean hands. Listen, that is a task that you and I still have to this day. We have to stay clean at all times before the Lord. And listen, if we're going to win souls, can I tell you this? The Bible says in Proverbs eleven thirty, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Say, how can I tell if I'm living a fruitful life? Are you seeing folks saved? Because if you're not seeing folks saved, you say, what do you mean? Am I getting them to pray a prayer? That's not what I said. Am I getting them to read a tract? That's not what I said. I said seeing folks saved. Are you seeing folks saved? Are you being a testimony? Are you giving, are you, is your life a reflection? Is it a mirror that shines the light brighter in other people's lives? Are you seeing folks saved? Are you taking the scriptures and opening it unto them and showing them, thus saith the Lord? That's, you can tell, am I living, am I a fruit-bearing tree? The Bible says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. That's what God kept Adam and Eve from in the Garden of Eden. They took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but he said, don't let them eat of the tree of life. That's why he had to put the cherubs, cherubims around him, which we see here in just a moment. Because guarding that, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that when his souls is wise, if we're going to be fruitful before God, we have to stay clean. If we're going to be fruitful, if we're going to bear fruit, if we're going to be profitable, we're going to have to be clean. If we're going to win souls, we're going to be clean. If we're going to have to teach, we're going to be clean. If we're going to be what we need to be in our marriages, we're going to have to be clean. If we're going to be what we ought to be in our relationships, we're going to have to be clean. And so the Levites, they would go and they would cleanse themselves under this water. Turn to Isaiah, or excuse me, stay in, uh, yeah, turn to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sins. So we see the, the gate, but we see the, the altar and we see the laver. When we see this cleansing, Isaiah 1.18 says, Though your sins be as scarlet, 
they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So the labor was cleansing, but it was also purifying, as we've already mentioned. Psalms 119, verse 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Here it comes. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. You know what's interesting? We have today more conversation, more help. There are more people in therapy. There are more people in, in all kinds of different uh, uh, you know, sessions and talks and podcasts and letting their feelings out and, you know, all the hurt. People are always wanting more therapy. They're always wanting more, uh, you know, uh, uh, talk, wanting more to talk. I'm stumbling on my words. Please forgive me. But I hope you understand what I'm saying. They're, they're wanting, they're wanting this, this sense of community. They're wanting this sense of fellowship. They're wanting this, this uh, there's this feeling inside of them that they, they just need to share. Uh, they just need to be a part. Can I tell you something? If you read your Bible and you pray and you come to church, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, between your Bible reading, which is first, and your pastor, you will get all the help that you need. You say, how do I know that? Because those are the things that God gave us. And God was not going to leave us shorthanded. Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you read your Bible and pray between your devotions and the man of God and this church, you'll get all you need. This church will give you the fellowship that you need. This is the family of God. You're looking at somebody, I did not have a lot of family in my life. I've lost both my grandparents. I'm not saying this, I'm not asking you to be sorry for me. I'm just, just sharing. I have, both of my grandparents are passed away. They're the only grandparents I really had in my life. I never really had uncles in my life. Now again, I'm not saying that I don't feel bad for myself. You know why? Because I was able to grow up in church. I really was. I have all the family I needed in church. I look at people like you, and I call people like you in my home church aunt and uncle. Because that, they're way closer to me than any of my family were ever were. You want a sense of belonging? You have the family of God, and that's an eternal belonging. Between your Bible, your prayer closet, your pastor, and your church, you'll get all that psychotherapy that you need. The labor, the cleansing, purifying thy word. The words of the Lord are pure words. Psalms 12, 6 says... As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. So we've seen the gate, the laver. We see this in our life. We see how the word washes, the blood washes. So we're staying clean. How do we stay clean? We read our Bibles. We pray. Then now we get to, now we get to some of the innermost parts. Now we're, we're going through. We're entering into the holy, the holy place. And as we enter into the holy place, we're now a little closer to the Holy Spirit. And we see in our left-hand side, we see the seven candlesticks. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 12. The seven candlesticks. Now, these seven candlesticks were to be filled with olive oil. The, the candlestick would have stood about six feet high. And it was the job of the Levites to keep the candle burning at all times. There's not one time the light of that candle was to be unlit. Because, again, they didn't have electricity back then. You know what that's like, Grandpa Joe? Uh-huh. They walk into the holy place and the, the light that would have illuminated in there would have, the large portion of that would have come from those candlesticks. But they were to always be burning at no time were they supposed to be unlit. 
John 8, 12 says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 14, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Read this with me. I don't just want to read this to you. I want you to see it for yourself. That's why you bring your Bible to church. Right? So you can keep, you can keep the preacher in line. Matthew 5, I'm in verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, right? Hide it under a bushel. No, right? But what's the next part of that song? Sing it. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Right? Let it shine. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. That's the candlestick. It was lighting all that was in the house. Let your light, look at it, so shine before men. Proverbs 11.30. That, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Can I say something, folks? When folks get close to us, they should be getting close to the light. We should be a reflection. If there's one thing that I have learned in my short time in, on this earth and just being in church is when people are built to people, they'll leave. If you leave this church, that tells me your relationship. When I say leave this church, if you leave this church just because you, you just don't want to be here or, or you just don't like it, you leave any, any church that's Bible-believing, they preach the Bible, they're winning souls, they got missionaries, they're, every, they're doing what the Bible tells them to do. Can I tell you this? I don't go to church for my pastor. I don't go to church for my pastor. I don't go to church because I like my pastor. And my pastor's my dad. You know why I go to church? Because that's where the Spirit of God is. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know why I go to church? Because of God. I want to be in the presence of God. I'm not going into the tabernacle because of how cool Levi's beard is. I'm not going into the tabernacle because of how nice the facilities are. I'm going to church because I want to be in the presence of God. I love my pastor. He's my father. But I don't go to church because of him. He ain't got nothing to do with it. Anytime this book is open right here, I want to be there. I want to be there. But that candlestick, that light, not only is Jesus the light, we say, oh, Jesus is the light. And Jesus is saying, you're the light. Are you burning? Are you burning? Is one candlestick out? Are two candlesticks out? Where's your, how, how's your witness? How's your walk? Is it hard to talk about God with those that are unsafe? I can tell you this. In a short time, I was working with some folks. I was sharing a testimony. One of the best things that I ever had happening was being the only Christian in a workplace environment where all the, all the guys were, we were all grunt labor, and I won't get into all that. But they would talk about their weekends and what they were doing in their bedrooms and what they were doing in their parties, and it was just absolutely filthy. And they'd ask me, what did you do? 
And I remember, God taught me a lesson. I remember the first time, I, I was a little embarrassed. Because I, I, I was like, well, you know, I, I, yeah, I had a good weekend. It was good. I spent time with family. And, and uh, we, it was really good. And that's all I said. And I'm telling you what, the Holy Spirit about run a Mack truck over me. And said, what are you ashamed of? What are you ashamed of? So the next time we came, they were talking about it all again. They said, John, Mark, what did you do? And I said, man, we had a VBS this week. and We had kids saved and the buses were full. And, and I'm just sharing God. And they just looked at me like a, ga- a calf staring at a new gate. Well, that's good. We're good. What are you ashamed of? We have the light. And the darker it gets, the brighter the light. But don't snuff out. Don't check out. Listen, church is not the only time your light should be burning. Somebody told me one day at work, they said, well, I'm not, I was talking to them about church. They said, I'm not religious. And I said, good, me neither. I said, huh? I said, religion is what people do on Sunday most of the time. I said, but I'm a Christian. And Christianity is what you do the rest of the six days. I don't, it, this isn't just a flip on and flip off. This is burning, morning, noon, night, the candlestick, left burning bright. Why should we be burning bright? So that they may see our Father, which is in heaven. And as people get closer to us, they should be getting closer to God. So that means this. If we check out, they're not there for us anyway. And if we go astray, at least they have the light. And they don't need us. It's not us they need anyway. They need God. The candlestick, burning bright, having the light in your heart and taking the light out in the darkness. Let's move on. We got three more pieces and move quickly. Altar of incense. Just listen, if you will. Sweet smelling savor, 2 Corinthians 14, 2, 14 through 15. Now thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge, but by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. That means this. Your presence should be sweet. They would take a burning coal and put it on the altar of incense. And these next three pieces in the altar, we talked about the candlestick, the altar of incense, we'll get to the table of showbread. These were at all times always to be serving their place. And this was the meat of their portion. This was the meat of the, of the tabernacle. The largest portion was the holy place. It was the biggest room. It had the most objects. This was the meat. The meat of the Christian life. We've gotten through the gate. We're washed, but the meat is to be burning bright, to be burning always, and then to be a sweet-smelling savor at work, at home, wherever we're at. We should, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, it says, um, uh, for we are to God a sweet savor in them that are saved and in them that perish. So saved or unsaved, we should be a sweet savor. Our presence, our demeanor, our way of life should be as such that people say, man, I just like being around them. Not because you're funny. Not because you got a big person. Can I tell you something? Some of the people that I love the most, and I love being around them, and you're going to, now this is, a, this is a conundrum, especially for me, talk the least. But they don't need to say anything. My Mimi was one of the sweetest ladies ever walked the face of the earth. I just love being around her. Because she read her Bible. She loved, she could not get through the church service without crying. 
She couldn't, she couldn't hug family goodbye without crying. It wasn't because she was, in a, she was just an emotional mess. No, because she just loved the Lord. She loved her family. She loved God. I just loved being around her. The Bible says when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies, even his enemies are at peace with him. We should be a sweet savor. We should be always precious in the eyes of the Lord. Among the saved and among the wicked. Now that doesn't mean you act like the wicked. And that doesn't mean you try to be more saved than the saved. It means that you're a sweet saver. You're burning bright. Praying without ceasing, the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, our prayers are those coals. As long as our prayers are burning, as long as we're asking for the fullness and for power, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, the Bible says. Let them see your light. Let them smell. There's something different when you get around so-and-so. You ever notice that? They just don't get mad. They don't get worked up. They're just kind. They're firm. They're not coming to parties. They're not joining in the cursing. They're not joining in the liquor crowd. And everything about them, I, I, those kind of people I just hate. But so-and-so, just, there's just something different about them. That's that altar of incense in our life. Next is the table of showbread. An everlasting feast, John 6, 58. That is that bread which cameth down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Luke 4, 4. And Jesus answered him, saying, As it is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Can I tell you this? That the Bible is bread for daily use. It's not cake for special occasions. We had a wedding. We don't eat cake every day. But we have, I've had bread at my mother-in-law's house every day this week. I can't eat, that, that cake isn't good for me. But I'll tell you what, you get that whole wheat bread, you get some of that butter on top, you sop that egg yolk, on, man, we're going to need dismissing church. You use that bread, to, man, I could do that every day. That's what this Bible is. It's bread for every day. It's not just cake for Sundays. It's not just cake for over a graveside. It's not just cake for a wedding. No, this is, this is bread for every day. Can I tell you something? That bread was supposed to stay fresh. It was never supposed to go stale. That's what the Levites ate when they came in. Is your Bible stale? Do you have to pry it open? Need some WD-40? That you've kept it closed for so long? You let it get moldy? You know how you let whole wheat bread get moldy? All you got to do... Is leave it on the counter for a couple days. And that's what will happen in your Christian life if your bread is sitting on the dresser top for a couple days. It's going to get moldy. The Ark of the Covenant, last but not least, as I close. This is what the whole tabernacle was leading up to and where our verse comes into hand. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Ark of the Covenant was almighty, abundant, accessible power. Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses, putting this all together, unto me in both Jerusalem and in Judea and into the uttermost parts of the world. We have missionaries. We have people here in our local church. This verse is represented right now as we speak in this church. 
Mark 15, 37 through 38, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. There's no longer needing a mediator because there's only one mediator between God and man. The Bible says that is the man, Christ Jesus. See the gate. See the altar. In Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Our daily life, that's the incense, that's the candle. Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, that's a command. Be ye filled with the Spirit, that's also a command. With his staff he doth lead. If you know in the Ark of the Covenant there was the staff... The manna and the law. With his staff he doth lead, with his manna he doth feed, and his commandments we should heed. Hebrews 4, 14, as I close with these three verses. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, no more tribe of Levi, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Understand that Levi could only go into the Holy of Holies one time a year on the Day of Atonement. But you and I get to enter into that place every day when we get on our knees and when we open the Word of God. Every day. For we have an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but with all, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. You and I would know if we were in that day, think about it, we could go into the gate, past the, past the brazen altar, past the labor, open up the holy place, and you and I could walk right in to the Holy of Holies where only, only Aaron could enter one time a year. You know why? Because the Spirit of God that was over the ark is in you and I. You say, is it, really, is it really that literal? Yes, it is. Do you see why they took it for granted? Because we take it for granted. As I close, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's my prayer that these six pieces in my life and in every life doesn't get dusty, worn out, and dry. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for these thy people. I pray that, Lord, that you would just help us, keep us encouraged. Father, keep us strengthened, Lord, in your word and your church. And Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for sending us the Comforter. Thank you for sending us your Spirit. You may guide us, lead us, and direct us in all truth. In Jesus' name, amen.